good to be here uh, this morning and um, we've been asked to give our testimonies and uh, Pastor Dave asked us and uh, do you know I was thinking we've all got a testimony, we've all, we've all got a story to tell, we could all write a book um, and of what God has done when we become Christians, um, God is just amazing and has changed my life and I know has changed Paul's life and uh, yeah, so um, I've got, uh, yeah, my story, my life, just a little bit. I've, um, I've got to watch the time as well, because Paul said he'd, he'd wink or give me a nudge or something. I don't know what he's going to do, but he said, well, I can't do that because it looks like I'm controlling you. <laughs> um, and he doesn't control me. I think I control him, really. But um, yeah, but we're good together. We're, we're good together as a team. And uh, and that's what it's all about. Um, in this church, we've been coming here now for 20, 24 years or something, and we actually live in England, so we're not Welsh. And our family just look at us and say, oh my goodness, what are you doing coming to church in, in Wales? They don't understand it. But this is where we, uh, we fellowship. This is our home, and it's a very special place. Um, right, my story. Um, I was born in Ireland, in Belfast, and uh, I won't go into too much detail, really, because I've got a, I could go on forever. But um, and um, I had a, um, a, a Christian upbringing, a very happy upbringing. But uh, yeah, it was a very ha- happy upbringing. Um, but my dad was a little bit strict, um, but he was. My parents were Gideons, so um, and very, very involved in that. So we had a house full of Bibles, and Dad would. Dad would have done anything to have given anyone a Bible. He would have gone anywhere. He would have walked anywhere. Uh, he was so passionate about the Gideons, and uh, and bless him, he he was a he was a very proud man, but a lovely man. And um, anyway, um, as I said, I lived in Ireland in Belfast, and every year we were we went away on holiday. We went away for a month to the seaside, which I was very privileged to have done. I had four, three sisters and a brother, and big family and uh, but anyway mum had the right idea because she sent us every morning to the beach mission just to get rid of us I think but actually it worked because when at the age of seven I gave my life to the Lord I gave my life to Jesus and um, it was incredible because I came running home and saying I've asked Jesus into my life and I was crying and um, and uh, dad, dad just said well it's the best thing you could ever do and uh, anyway we moved to England when I was 11 he moved to Bristol, and in fact, um, my friend Jane's, Jane's here this morning, and we actually lived in Blagden, because we didn't know where else to live, and for four, in 1959, it was very hot, and we, we moved to Blagden, and lived there for a bit, because we didn't know any part of Bristol, so we thought we'd live there in a rented accommodation, and it was a fantastic time, it's a beautiful time, and I, yeah, it's quite a special time in my life then, but you see, I was always a very shy child. I mean, right from the word go, really, basically. I was very, I was always very scared. I was always very um, frightened of life. I had no confidence. I, um, I was very thin. In fact, my, my dad worried about me. And when I had tonsillitis, he wouldn't send me into hospital because he thought I'm, I wouldn't come out. And um, my sisters, they all had their tonsils out, no trouble, but I was the one that, I think it was the black sheep of the family, perhaps, I don't know. But anyway, um, anyway, I, um, I've, lost my, I've lost my train of thought now, really, but um, as I say, we, were, we moved to, we were in England living, 
and I went to church and, and we had to go to church on a Sunday three times a day and um, because of, of me being so um, immature and so young I played with dolls till I was about 14, 15 um, so immature but we went to church on Sunday and then Sunday night we had the youth so um, th- there was young people my dad made sure that we found a church there was young people anyway I went to church and we went to the youth and I was still this very pathetic child very young and and um, anyway, this, this boy, as he was then, came up and asked me out. And um, I thought, right, right, okay, this is it. So my mum, and now he hadn't, been, uh, he hadn't been coming to the church long. In fact, my mum said, called him a spiritual tramp because he used to go around all the churches. I think he was just looking for a girlfriend. But anyway, I was the one, the chosen one. He asked me out and I went. In fact, he said to me, do you drink? And I said, Yes. Now, I'd never touched a drink in my life um, and never been anywhere in my life, really. I mean, but I couldn't, I couldn't say on that I didn't drink. So anyway, we went to, he ended up in this pub. And uh, what would you like? I said, well, I didn't know. I didn't know what drink what. Didn't want, so I just I'd heard about a sherry. So I said, I'll have a sherry. Anyway, he came back with his sherry and I drank it. And um, Wow. I can still taste that sherry now. It went inside here, lovely and warm, or down here. And all of a sudden, my mouth started moving. And all of a sudden, I had confidence. And all of a sudden, I, I thought, wow, this is incredible. I've got this confidence. And, um, and I just thought, right, now, if this does this to me, what's another one going to do? Now, the drink, now, normal people don't think this. You know, they don't... But you see, I did not realize that I started to have this mental obsession. It just triggered a mental obsession in me to think, ah, alcohol, this is good for me. This is what I need. This is what I need to make me feel good, to make me feel better, to make me feel confident, to make me um, live life, really. So... um, Anyway, that was the start of the obsession in my head. Um, anyway, I married this guy, and um, the spiritual tramp, as he was then. He was a Christian, and I married him. And, um, and we lived hef- happily ever after. Well, that actually did not happen. Um, uh, I, uh, yeah, we, we got married, and, and, and we got involved. We had two children, first of all, and we got involved in the church, in the Abbott's Baptist Church in Bristol, and, um, but you see, things started happening inside me and I started to want more. Uh, I started to, um, I got baptized, yes, when I was 16 in the church as well. So, um, and, and I was a Christian. I loved Jesus more than anything else. But you see, when I started to drink, I started to look at things differently. And that peace of mind that I had inside me started to change. I had no peace of mind at all when, by the time I'd started, because I'd started this obsession in my head to want more drink, because that will get me through the, the days ahead. I mean, I ended up having four children. I loved children. Excuse me. I loved children um, right from an early age. That's why probably I had four children. I don't know, but I had four children. Um, and, um, but it was hard work. You know, as you know, as mums and things, it's hard work. And obviously, to get through the day and whatever, you have a drink. But you see, the thing is, this drink, this obsession inside me, 
I could not stop thinking. I thought, well, I'll get through the day and whatever, and I'll, I'll, um, that would be, it'll all be okay, and then I can have another drink at night and whatever. And um, my mum used to say to me, you know, you've got such wonderfully behaved children. And I can remember thinking, oh, if only you knew. Now, you see, the thing is, they were scared of me because, you see, when I started drinking, I started to become a different person. My, my personality changed. Um, and I started to feel different, and I would, uh, I'd be like a Jekyll and Hyde. One minute I'd be okay, and I'd get a drink inside me, and then I'd, I'd be different. Um, and the thing was, I was totally selfish, because all I wanted to do, really, was drink. So by the time the evening came, the kids were in bed at 6 o'clock. Mum thought I was being a strict mum, but the thing is, I wasn't. I was being a selfish mum, because I could drink then in the evening. And... Uh, Drinking became part of um, my relationship with my husband, obviously, was not good. We, um, we found we were sort of separating ourselves because, you know, I was not interested really in him. I wanted to drink. You know, drink was, was, was there. Um, now, my sister had had a word with me and sort of said, oh, are you not drinking too much? Um, and I thought, hmm, I don't know whether I like like her saying that to me. But anyway, I ended up going to the doctor. I thought, right, I'm going to visit the doctor. And then that sort it all out. I'm not drinking too much at all, for goodness sake, what's she talking about? So I went to the doctor. Doctor said to me, oh, are you drinking? What are you drinking? How much do you drink in the day and whatever? And uh, I mean, I'd started, you see, all my, my Christian morals, all the beliefs that I had, all the, um, I, I, I didn't have that anymore. And as an alcoholic, which I didn't know at the time I was, um, they lie. If their mouth and their lips are moving, they're lying. And I didn't really know that. Because, you see, lying becomes the norm. You get yourself out of a situation, you lie. It's easy to lie. And, of course, I lied. And I said to the doctor, he said, how much do you drink? I said, oh, not much. Probably half a glass of wine, a glass of wine at night. Now, that was rubbish. I'd probably go through a bottle of wine or half a bottle of gin... Um, and you see, um, but anyway, he said, I think you could be depressed. I thought, great, good one. I wanted to be labelled. I didn't want to be labelled an alcoholic, but depression sounds good. So um, he gave me pills. Not a good idea. Um, um, so I started taking the pills. And you take pills and booze together. It's a great combination. And you feel really, really good. Um, now, don't forget, I had four children... And at this point, I'd be, I'd be, the little ones were younger, but I would take the other ones to school. And you see, I didn't think, um, I didn't think I was hurting anybody else. I didn't think, I just thought it was normal. I was completely oblivious to, you know, anything. And I'd be driving the car with my children, and I'd be drinking and drunk. And their friends, I'd pick them up from school, and I was drinking, um, probably drunk, and not thinking about other people's children in the car. Um, and I got to a place where I, there I was on these pills and inside I hated myself. Inside I, I just hated the person I was. I hated, I would look at other people. I'd look at other people's lives and I would think, um, gosh, look, they've got their life together. Look at them, they're married and they're happy. And inside I was in pieces. Now I, always, I was always put together I was always, you know, um, the lipstick was on and whatever, but inside I was rubbish. Absolute felt rubbish. It was hell on earth. 
and I could not get, I couldn't let people know because I, nobody would understand how I felt. Nobody would understand. And you see, as a Christian, I'd be praying to God and I'd be saying, God, you know, why am I like this? What's happening? What's happening to me? Uh, and I came to a point one night when my daughter, my eldest was in bed and I thought, I can't carry on. Now, this was a cry for help. It was like, so I decided I would um, end it all. Now, I did not want to end it all. I didn't. But anyway, I sat down and I took a tumbler full of whiskey and a bottle of pills. And um, I suddenly realized what I'd done and I ran upstairs to my daughter and I woke her up. And I said, you need to phone the ambulance I've, I've taken. Now, I didn't realize what I put a 12-year-old through. I didn't realize that. And at the time, um, how hard that was for her. How terribly hard. And uh, I ended up in hospital. Um, and they gave me... I lived, obviously. I'm here today um, to tell the tale. But um, I had a stomach pump. They pumped me out. And, uh, and you see, when you do that, you, uh, you end up in hospital in a room, in a ward. And I'm in this bed. And I'm thinking... Nobody's been to see me. I've got no flowers. You know, um, why have they not come to see me? And, of course, nobody had come to see me because um, I did, didn't realise that I put people through such awful, awful things. Anyway, I had to see a psychiatrist because that's what you do before you get out. The psychiatrist spoke to me and said, um, you know, do you know what you've done and whatever? I said, yes, never do it again. I'm going to get my life on track. So I came home that night and I picked up another drink, um, opened a bottle. I thought, I'm fine now. Um, and I started all over again, drinking. And uh, I got to a point now, meanwhile, I didn't say that my husband uh, had been drinking. He's actually um, an alcoholic. He was an alcoholic, same as me. Um, and he had been drinking as well. And um, so we ended up um, more or less not having a relationship because he'd be off and I'd be off. He was working in Bath at the time. And so life was actually pretty horrendous. Um, but you see, on the, on the outside, it was all perfect. On the outside, my parents would come round and uh, everything was seen to be, you know, the house was clean and tidy. I had hidden, I didn't do any ironing, but I hid that in the cupboard. But you see, everything was, was okay. But deep inside, it wasn't. Deep inside, it was horrendous. I started to um, seek out sordid places to drink. Things, I started doing things as, as a Christian. I didn't, I would never have dreamt of doing. Um, I, uh, then one night, my husband came home and told me that um, he um, was having an affair. I was devastated. I was absolutely... Now, the fact was, it was the pride that had hit me. It was the pride, the fact that, how dare you? You know, and I didn't know. Fancy not telling me. It was, you know, that sort of thing. Now, you see, the thing was, I wasn't there for him anyway, but he actually wasn't there for me. But anyway, he, he left. And um, it was amazing because it was actually at that time that the self-pity came in. Now, I don't know about anybody else, but... Self-pity trip is not a good idea. Feeling sorry for yourself is not a good idea. And um, people had said to me, fancy him leaving you with four children. And I thought, yeah, fancy that. Now, they didn't see the other side of it, that I actually wasn't there for him. 
But you see, um, I love that. I love that self-pity. I love the, um, the poor me's, poor me. And you see, um, that was really the, the start of my down, spiral down into the pits of desperation. Um, I want to read something. I'd get in the car with my children and I'd been given this tape. It was a tape in those days. It wasn't even a CD. I was thinking it's a tape. And it was by Marilyn Baker. And it's, um, she's a blind pianist. Um, and I was given this. And I would play it in the car. And it goes, God wants to give you a glorious new life that can satisfy, that will never die. His life will change you and set your heart free to be all that God intends you to be. Now, this would be playing in my car. And my children today say, never play that again to me. Um, but it would be on in the car and they would, the kids would be in the car and I would be crying. And I'd be saying, God, I can't go through this anymore. I can't go through this. And I'd go and have another drink. And then I'd play the tape again. And um, I'd go and pick up the kids from school. And um, my daughter Hannah would say to me, um, she didn't know what I would be like when I picked her up from school. Um, and I didn't realize this. She said, Mom, I didn't know what you'd be like. Sometimes you could be happy. Sometimes you'd shout at us. Sometimes you'd be pissed. Um, and she didn't want to come home. She said, I can't invite friends home from school because how can I? Because you could be pissed. Um, I started at this point, things got so bad that I could not go out of the house without a drink in my handbag. I had drinks all around the house. I had hid drinks. I'd gone out at night and in blackout and I'd come home and I didn't know where I'd been. I um, had an accident in the car and I got home and I don't know if I'd hit somebody or not. And in the morning, I would be looking out the window and saying, is my car still there? What have I done in a blackout? That's how bad it got. It got to a point where... Coming to the end. Okay. Um, sorry, I'm rambling on. Anyway, um, I, need, I now need to end it up, really. But all I'm saying to you now is that I got to a place where I cried out to God in the end, and I had to complete surrender my life to God. You see, the thing is, God knows us. He made us. He knows us. And I think that um, we can't fool him. We can't, we can't fool him. So we, and he knew when I cried out to God before, I didn't mean it. But I got onto my hands and knees one night. It was 1984, so it's 34 years ago. And I cried out to God and I said, God, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. And in the end, um, I ended up um, in a treatment center in Western Supermare. Now, you see, what I just want to say, emphasize is, my name is Hillary and I'm an alcoholic. And I know that I am an alcoholic. I, it's, not, it's not that I'm a bad person because I thought I was. I was full of shame. I am a good person. Um, it's that I have an illness, an alcohol, alcohol, alcoholism. Is that the word? Is, is an illness. Um, alcoholism is an illness. And it's not, um, it's a bit like, yeah, I'm a diabetic. I'm, I'm an alcoholic. And um, the fact is I can do something about it today. And I had to start to learn to live a new life. I didn't have a clue about life. I didn't know how to be a wife or a mother. I'm with other alcoholics that understand me. 
Um, I haven't got to hide anymore. I haven't got to hide. So I've got to come now to the end. Um, anyway, um, that's a little bit of my story. Sorry I rambled on a bit, but um, over to my husband. In, in saying all that, it just shows what an amazing wife God's given me. Uh, you know, God, God has got such an amazing sense of humor. Because who'd want two of Hillary? Or who would want two of Paul? No one. Uh, I'm perfect for Hillary, and Hillary is perfect for me. Uh, nobody else could put up with her, as nobody else could put up with me. <laughs> so this is why we're peas in a pod. Uh, still got a long way to go, but uh, you know we don't we don't finish this journey perfect. It's only what he does. Now, when we take groups to Israel, sometimes we we take them to a place called Kersey. Now, when you will know in, in Jesus, when he set sail from Capernaum, went across the Sea of Galilee and calmed the storm, and he landed in a place called Kersey, and a guy came screaming out of the, 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 the caves on the hill. He was, uh, he'd been self-harming. He had no clothes on. He was swearing. They tried to chain him down, and they couldn't do anything because he was possessed by demons. And he ran, ran down and saw Jesus on the beach. Jesus cast the demons out of him. And then it says, he was sat by Jesus' feet, clothed and in his right mind. And he asked Jesus if he could go with him. And Jesus said, no. And this is the word. He said, go to your own house and tell them what God has done. Now, this guy had nothing but a second-hand T-shirt and a testimony. So all that you hear from now on is what he has done. Please don't say it's Paul because it's not true. It is what he's done. Now, for any of these testimonies, the more background that you understand or you see the greater you see the power of God. Uh, could I have that first photograph, please? Okay. The picture on the left uh, are my grandparents, the Marshalls. Now, they started with William Booth in the East End in the late 1800s. They came from Sheffield. Uh, they were instrumental in the beginning of the Salvation Army. These are my grandparents. There's a, there's a taller girl in the back. Her name's Violet, and I'll talk to her about later. On the right-hand side, you'll see another group of people, the Davises. That's my mother's grandparents, uh, my grandparents. They came from, they were miners from Pontypool, and they both got blessed in the Welsh Revival in 1904. The pit closed and they moved to Bristol because there was a new pit opening in Colpit Heath. They went to the Salvation Army where my other grandparents were the officers. And this is where my mother 
met my father. And that's the two in the middle. They got married, and ba-boom, it's me. <laughs> so that is the background that I came from. I was brought up in the Salvation Army. Everyone sang. Everybody played either a cornet or a tenor horn or beat a drum. All of them. Aunts, uncles, the lot. They were musical mad. And that's what I was brought up in. And uh, so I, I knew what was right. I knew what was wrong. Uh, I had a good upbringing, but I was the only child. I was a bit of a weird kid, really weird. I had these tem- I was in and out of hospital. Uh, I had these terrible stomach cramps. I was throwing up all over the place. And I was anxious all the time, a bit like Hillary, worried to death. Worried. I couldn't get on the bus without throwing up on the bus. So my mother thought, we need to take him to hospital. So I was in and out of hospital. And uh, then I developed these odd things, these habits. Now, the- I'll give you an example of two of them. The first one was I was in school doing this, right? And then I had another one of an eye twitch. When I do it now, it was, I was doing it all the time. My mother would walk five paces behind, I think, because she was embarrassed about going out with me. Um, And this was the kind of guy that I was. At the age of 16, I leave home. And I joined the Royal Artillery School of Music, and I finish up at Neller Hall at the School of Music as a percussionist. Wonderful Horse Guards Parade, Buckingham Palace, all that kind of, all that kind of stuff. Wonderful, but I thought there was there was more to life than walking down Horse Guards Parade, beating the living daylights out of a drum. So. I decided to come out of the army. Now, on the 2nd of February, at 7.30 in 1963, something happened. I finished up in a place called the Director General in Woolwich. It was a pub. I walked in there. Remember, I was brought up in the Salvation Army. I had never, ever drank. Nobody in my family drank. Not one of them. I had never touched a glass, never seen a bottle, anything. I go into the director general, and they say, what do you want? And my initial thought was a Coke, because that's all I drank. They say, why don't you have a lager and lime? Lager and lime goes down my throat, and it was like somebody threw a hand grenade down my throat. And it went off, and I thought, this is it. And there were a group of women in the corner, and I was right in the middle of them. I changed. I became, I became one of those guys. <laughs> I stayed in London. I stayed in London, and it was the early sixties, and I was in the middle of the London music scene, you know, where we all had hair and moustaches and bell-bottom trousers, and we'd sleep during the day and go crazy during the nights. And I was in the middle of that in the Marquee Club, all the Soho clubs. I was there. I was doing it. Cut a long story short, I was slowly going mad because I found this chemical called alcohol, and wasn't it wonderful? Gosh, I was dangerous. <laughs> I was a danger to society. You put that inside me, and you knew Paul had arrived. 
And I came back to Bristol, met a wonderful lady, started a business, had two children, a magnificent home, two lovely cars, but I was drinking. I was drinking and I was uh, spending every money I can on it, getting everybody else drunk and usual thing. Just like Hillary said, I became a nasty bit of work. A nasty bit of work. My wife finished up on Valium because she didn't know what this raving madman would be like when he come home. Sometimes I'd be all right, and sometimes I'd smash the house up. So you never knew. So imagine living with that. So I get to a, a situation one night. I hire a restaurant to take all my employees out, as I do, the big I am. Well, I go into a blackout. And I can't remember what I've done. The next morning, I wake up with shame and guilt like I have never felt in my life before. What did I do? And I, I staggered into work, and our youngest apprentice, called Andy, came into my office, and he looked at me. He said, do you remember what you did last night? What do you say? Do I say, clear off out my office, I'm the boss? Do I try and laugh it off? Or... Do I tell the truth? And I want used to this, just like Hillary said. I said, I can't remember. He walked, he looked at me, sniggered, and walked out the office. He might as well have stuck a knife in my throat. I left the office and went to the Clifton Suspension Bridge to contemplating killing myself. And I heard this voice. And I remember I'd been in the darkness for so long. I wasn't a godman at all. I was a backslidden lunatic. And I heard this voice, and this voice said, who's going to look after your kids? Never thought of them. It's all about me. I go home. I say to my wife, what am I going to do about my drinking? She said, I don't give a... Took the kids and left. I threw myself on the city, and I cried like a baby. What am I going to do? What am I... And I heard this voice. Now, this is the way that God's always spoken to me. I didn't know at the time... He said, pick up the telephone book. So I picked up the telephone book. And it was as though somebody had got a highlighter and highlighted this organization. So I rang it. And the guy on the other end, he said, are you an alcoholic? I thought, what a stupid question. How do I know? But I said, when I drink, I don't know what's going to happen. I was introduced to a group of people that helped me. And from that first encounter with these people, I haven't had a drink since. 40 years. Come on. Remember, this is not about me. <laughs> it's about him. Part of this recovery aspect is that you write down the things that you've done things you feel bad about, resentments you've got, whatever. So I wrote down all the things that I felt really guilty about. First of all, I was a thief, all right? I was an adulterer. I was selfish. I was inconsiderate. I was thoughtless. I was arrogant. I was a money waster. And that's what booze did to me. And I had a friend called John, he was an ex-grenadier guard, and he'd been in mental hospital 34 times. That's the kind of people I, I mixed with. <laughs> and he, uh, 
there was another aspect, and it said one of these steps in this recovery program, admit it to God, to yourself, and to another human being, the exact nature of your wrong. So John takes me along to this church in Bristol, and I go in there. I didn't want to go in. I don't like churches. I don't like Christians. They make me sick. They make me want to vomit because they're so blessed nice. And that was exactly how I felt about them. I couldn't stand them. And I'm in this room with this guy called Rolf. I tell him about all the things that I've done. And at the end of it, he says to me, he said, how do you feel? I said, I feel empty. So with that, he whipped out from his inside pocket a card, put it in my hand, and he said, read that. I wasn't expecting this. I wasn't expect. It said, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I acknowledge that my life's a mess. I ask you now to come into my life because I know that you died for me. And here it comes. Bam. Bam. I got hit from the head down through my body to my feet. I didn't know what had happened. And then he said to me, he said, when you go outside, I want you to tell someone who asked Jesus into life, into your life. I walked out of there and Big John was down the end. He said, what's happened to you? I said, John, I've asked Jesus into my life. He said, wow. A few weeks after, I'm in W.H. Smith. And I'm walking around. And this is the way, again, the God, God speaks to me in visions and colors and music. That's how he does it. All right. I was in W.H. Smith, and a, a, a book flashed on the shelf. And I went along, and I looked at it, and it was a Bible. And this is it. This is the one. And do you know, I opened this up in W.H. Smith, and it, do you know the first word I read? My power is strongest when you are weak. Amazing. Amazing. My power is strongest when... Well, I was meeting all these alcoholics and whatever, and I, I was trying to go to church. And I said, um, why don't you come to church with me? So I had all these people that I was taking along to church and witnessing to, not down to me, and they were... Dozens of them. I've got, got to put the mic down here because I can't do two things at once. But look, at, look at this. I itemized, I documented every person that got born again, spirit-filled, healed. Hundreds. Hundreds. Look at them. Hundreds and hundreds. Now, this isn't me. This certainly isn't me. So what happened then is that, where have I got up to? Oh, yeah. In this Bible, I, got, I was taking all these people to church, and I had this verse, and it said, Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us, Oh, gosh, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves received from him. 
I meet this woman, because I, oh, by the way, I got, I got divorced the first time. I met this woman, we got married, and she wasn't a Christian. But you see, I still had so much pride, I never asked anybody, is it wise for me to marry a non-Christian? Huh, I knew it all, you see. God loves me, so he must love her, which he did. But you see, what was happening, I was going to church, hearing wonderful stuff, coming home, wanting to talk about it. Whoosh! She didn't understand. See, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't prepared to ask and seek wise counsel. <laughs> See, I'm still, I was still thick from the neck up. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a perfect spirit living in an imperfect body. We got married, we were married, and she became pregnant. Seven months down the pregnancy, I want to talk to you about a few weeks. Right. My father, the guy that you, little, little boy, he ran an old people's club. And one of these old dears died. So they asked him to take the funeral. So they're in the Salvation Army. And he is taking the funeral of this lady. That, and they brought the coffin down the front. And he stood up there in the pulpit. And he said, when the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and drops dead in the pulpit. In the middle of the funeral. My mother is sat in the front row watching this, and I laugh about it because he would laugh. You got two for the price of one. <laughs> you know, so there was the dead woman and the dad. You know, a parade of trolleys being taken out of the Salvation Army. So I say that because he would have laughed. All right. So then what happened? The week after, my mum's brother, who was the Salvation Army officer in Pontypool, dies. The week after that, my wife's father cuts off his fingers and has a heart attack on a saw. Whoosh, they've gone. Got stumps. Two weeks after that, my mother dies. An only child, and I am in pieces. Two months after that, the Hillary, uh, sorry, wrong wife. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> I wind that back. Second wife <laughs> has the baby. There are con complications, and she finishes up with Bell's palsy. Oh, gosh. Louis. Our son has severe colic. We're in and out of hospital and doctors with him, and he cries for a year. And by this time, I am mentally unstable. I am mentally unstable. Now, what happens? She then, Linda, her name was, wonderful, wonderful woman. She leaves. Takes Louis, so... The wife and the children have gone a second time. But I'm a Christian. I'm spirit-filled. I speak in tongues. I lay hands on the sick and they get well. But I'm going through a divorce. These things aren't supposed to happen. What a failure. What a useless Christian. What a useless bloke I am. My, Vi, my aunt Vi says to me, Paul, you need to go to Israel. 
I thought, well, what, what is there for? You know, she, she said, look, Jesus, who you talk about all the time, he was born there, he lived there, he died there, he's going to resurrect there. You see Jerusalem, you see Israel, you see Jews. How many times in the Bible? You need to go. See, I was in a depth of despair. I get on this plane, go to Israel, go to Jerusalem, and I check into the YMCA on my own. Each morning I'd say, Lord, where today? And I'd get in this taxi, I'd get on the coach, or I'd get a cheroot, you know, Arab bus, and I'd be in Jericho, and I'd be up into Samaria, Bethel, Shiloh, all over the place. And one morning I said, Lord, where are we going to go today? And he said, walk to Bethlehem. So I get out on the Hebron Road, and I'm walking towards Bethlehem, and there's a, there's a garden on the right, a biblical garden, and I'm walking around there, and there it was. There it was. This is what God brought me there for. It was a cross. A cross. In all its horror. And I walk up to this cross, and there was this ruffled crossbeam tied to a tree. There's a nail which goes through both ankles and then is bent over. And then the nails that go through the wrist and they're bent over. And I thought, why have I come here to see that? And it was like he said, that's what I went through for you, Paul. That's what I went through for you. I came back to Britain and we got married. Because Hillary was going to the same church, I was going to the same church. I'm looking at this clock. Um, Haley, give me, yeah, because well, this is the exciting bit. This is the exciting bit. This is only the preamble. So, hang on, next page. Oh, yeah, the YMCA in Jerusalem. The verse that I had for that, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We met this couple that they'd come from Scotland. They wanted to start a business in Bristol and the internet had just come out. Well, it's just about to come out. They wanted to build a Bible package that they could put free of charge on the internet. And they asked me if I wanted to work for them. Because I was into, I was always, I've always been into interior design, that kind of stuff. Graphics, interiors, you know, shop fitting, retail design, all that kind of stuff. Would I like to work for them to build this program called Best News, the Interactive Bible? But we got no material. So... Off I go back to Israel. I'm doing photographs, films of all this stuff. Why am I going back to Israel? And then we finish the, the Gospels and we get on to Acts. Right, we've got no material. Get out and follow the journey of Paul. Now, that's an instruction, isn't it? Follow the journey of Paul. So they send me. I'm on my own. So I start off in Galatia, up through Cappadocia. I'm up doing the, the seven churches of Asia, filming and photographing. I go around the top to Thessalonica, down through Greece and down through Athens, Corinth. Oh, I'm all, I'm, anyway, I go around. I'm up the Aegean Sea through to the islands, doing all follow what Paul went through. And I finish up on Patmos. Patmos, on my own. And I'm there for a week. I'm in this cave, 
And there's this Greek priest in there. And it was apparently the traditional place where John got the revelation. So we were talking. And with this, a young German couple walked in, only about 20. The girl burst into tears. And the guy came up to me and this Catholic, this, this Greek priest, and said, what went on here? And he said, this is where tradition says that John wrote the book of Revelation. And he said, what's the Revelation? He said, well, that's the last book in the New Testament. And then he came out with it. What's the New Testament? And it was like God says, Paul, I brought you here because the time is going to come when there are people that don't even know what the Bible is, who I am, and what I did for them. And bring it up to today is that if you see all of those things that the Lord has brought Hillary and myself through, what you have got here, you've got two recovered drunks. <laughs> Three divorces. Oh, you've got one, I got two. Yeah, right. Three. <laughs> Can't remember. Seven children with a variety of parents, right? I am dyslexic, right? So why does God choose me to do all this stuff? I'm take, see, Hillary himself now lead tours to Israel. We've just come back from our 28th tour. Amazing, 28. So what you can see here is that God has put together two very broken people. And I've got at the end here, it says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Now, you've now heard two people that have messed up. I want to introduce you to my best friend, the man that walked the paths of Jerusalem. The man that died for Hillary, for me, for everyone. If you don't know him, he is the most wonderful, wonderful, majestic savior, friend, glorious creator that saved a wretch like us. He's put us in this church. We've been coming here 25 years. We were invited to join the prayer partners. Ray rang us one day, said, would you like to take on the new life class? So we ran that. Then we ran a connect group. If any of you are not belonging to a connect group, please join one because it is the one place that you can be, you're safe to be honest get real because you're Christians don't let that fool anybody there is a lot of stuff that is going on that Christians will not talk about come on get real if you're having a struggle put your hand up you know Jesus loves honest people he does he, he thrives on it then we got involved with the baptism department hundreds of people baptized oh Amazing, isn't it? 
Hillary gets involved with the crash. The young people, mothers and babies, toddler group. And then this is the one we are asked to get involved with pre-marriage counselling. <laughs> Jesus, what are you doing? But I'll tell you what. <laughs> we know how to get it wrong, but he's shown us how to get it right. We are part of the Israel Prayer and Support Group, which have been running continuously in this church for 25 years. And after all that, I've been asked to be a trustee. A trustee, me? But you see, what you, have, what you, what you have got here is an amazing couple that God's created. Don't let the front fool anybody. Don't. I, I, what we want to bring today to you, all of you, is that be real before Jesus. Tell him when you're struggling. Don't please put on this Christian facade of everything is all right. A lot of times it's absolutely wonderful life. But there are times, and this is what I believe the Lord has called us to do. Join a connect group. Get involved and be real. And it says in, the, in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9, my favorite verse, For no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor mind conceived what God has prepared for those that love him.